Welcome back, everyone, to the Ranking President Show. I'm Bradley Cooper. And I am Curtis Cooper. We are still in Reconstruction Era, but we're about to come out of it for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah. And we're on a president that I don't think neither of us knew anything about. And I doubt mo- much of you, unless <laughs> you're... You might be experts in this. So you might know something. But the average American, I don't think... Think knows anything about Rutherford B. Hayes? Like, like no joke. The only the first time I heard Rutherford B. Hayes' name was on an episode of Phineas and Ferb. Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> Where like there was a statue of him, and they they only mentioned him because he was the hairiest president. He had a nice beard. <laughs> well, he is very hairy. <laughs> if you just if you just rank the presidents by their mugs, he'd be up there just for that oh, luxurious yeah. hair. <laughs> so I don't know anything. Of, I don't know much about his personality. So please tell me a little bit. Okay, so Rutherford, Beha- Rutherford Burchard Hayes Burchard. was born in Delaware, Ohio on October 4th, 1822 to Rutherford, Rutherford Hayes Jr. and Sophia Burchard. So okay. he actually just took his mother's last name, his yeah. mother's maiden name as his middle name. Mm. Now, Hayes' father was a store, storekeeper in Vermont and he had taken the family to Ohio in 1817. He died ten weeks before Rutherford's birth. Okay. Now, Sophia, his mother, took charge of the family, raising Hayes and his sister Fanny, the only two of the four children to survive to adulthood. So a lot of loss yep. in, in his family. Yep. Now, she never remarried, and Sophia's, and Sophia's younger brother, Sardis Burchard, lived with the family for a time. He was always close to Rutherford and became a father figure to him, contributing to his early education. So when I first started reading that, I was like, okay, so he's a little similar to, like, George Washington, but he yeah. did have more of a father figure, it yeah. sounds like, than George Washington did. Yeah. I love these names, Sardis and Rutherford. <laughs> like, I don't think... I, I If there's someone out there who's named Rutherford today, like, that's impressive. I need to meet you. Yep. Like, it's it's not like he's one of those, like, blacklisted names. No, no. It's just sort of a name like, oh, I guess that was a name that existed. Yeah. Kind of a kind of an interesting little name. Mm-hmm. Now, through each of his parents, Hayes was descended from New England colonists. Okay. Um, one quick note about that was his uh, earliest immigrant ancestor came to Connecticut from Scotland in 1625. Okay, so he had some roots. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about his education and early career. Now, I will say that I adapted a lot of this this time from Wikipedia due to time constraints, but here's here's what I'm going to say, Brad. It's I have a hot good. I have a hot take about Wikipedia. Okay, what's your hot Wikipedia take? Wikipedia is a perfectly fine source to look for like casual information. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with it. Like Wikipedia it's usually there's usually sources. Yep. You can check those sources if you want and yeah, sometimes Wikipedia can get stuff wrong. Yeah. but I mean, you know, it's I don't I don't really see the problem with it. I I, I think we've we were past the point where like Wikipedia should be viewed better than like a forum. It's not a forum. Yeah, yeah, it's better than that. I think I think we still have in our heads because college beat this into our heads you and high school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't use Wikipedia as a source, which that makes sense. You know, you yeah. got You got to have more than one source. You shouldn't be using an encyclopedia for yeah. a source. But you know, for casual information, it's and, a good place to start. And even like in high school slash college, I would always look up Wikipedia stuff for like a basis, and then like kind of use that as a jumping mm-hmm. off point for my research. Like, it's a great resource. Yep. People got to stop sleeping on it. Mm-hmm. All right. So his education and early law career. Hayes attended the common schools in Delaware, Ohio, and enrolled in 1836 at the Methodist Norwalk Seminary in Norwalk, Ohio. Okay. Now, he did well, 
and the next year transferred to the Webb School, a preparatory school in Middletown, Connecticut, where he studied Latin and ancient Greek. And then he returned to Ohio. He attended Kenyon College in Gambier in 1838. He enjoyed his time there and was successful scholastically. While there, he joined several student study, student societies mm-hmm. and became interested in Whig politics. Obviously, this is before the Republicans. Yep. His classmates included Stanley Williams and John Kelevergos. Hmm. Zakos. That's an interesting name. Mm-hmm. He graduated Phi Beta Kappa and with highest honors in 1842 and addressed the class as its valedictorian. Mm. So he was very well learned. Yeah, so definitely, so different than Grant, because Grant obviously, you know, wasn't big on the scholastics. So yeah. now yeah. we got uh, someone who's got very high educational mm-hmm. standards. Now, after briefly reading law in Columbus, Ohio, Hayes moved east to attend Harvard Law School in 1843. So after all this college, he's like, I think I could go to Harvard. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> Become a lawyer like every other president. <laughs> yep. He graduated um, and was admitted to the Ohio Bar in 1845. And then in 1847, Hayes became ill with what his doctor thought was tuberculosis. Okay. Thinking a change in climate would help, he considered enlisting in the Mexican-American War. But on his doctor's advice, instead visited family in New England. Like that's such yeah. like that's such like a, a hardcore mindset to have. Like you know, I might have tuberculosis. Change the climate. How about I enlist? Yeah, yeah. How about I go to war? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that sounds like it'll be the opposite for your TB. Yep. But uh, after this, he ultimately decided to move to Cincinnati to practice law for a while. Okay. Now, during his time in Cincinnati, he courted his future wife, Lucy Webb, during his time there. His mother had encouraged him to get to know Lucy years earlier, but Hayes had believed she was too young and focused his attention on other women. (laughs) Four years later, Hayes began to spend more time with Lucy. They became engaged in 1851 and married on December 30th, 1852 at Lucy's mother's house. That seemed to be a pretty common occurrence, getting married at, like, in-law's house. Yeah. Well, I guess it makes sense because there wouldn't be a whole lot of places you could rent to, you know, do big halls and stuff like that. Yeah, and, like, I feel like a lot of, like, modern marriage, for lack of a le- more uh, more fun word, trope, mm-hmm. are modern creations anyway. Yeah, yeah, we're based more in the Victorian era. Yeah. You know, sort of those things that passed down from the British. Kind of, st- yeah, stuff that we, like, romanticized in the past and, like, pulled from it. Mm-hmm. Over the next five years, Lucy gave birth to three sons, uh, Burchard, Webb, and Rutherford. <laughs> I kept that and yep. going. And she was a devout Methodist. She was also a teetotaler and abolitionist. Okay. She influenced her husband's views on these issues, though he was never, though he never formally joined her church. Okay. And that's pretty much all we know about Rutherford B. Hayes' religion. Yeah, that's, that sounds just so like Grant, you know? Yep. He was like, eh, I, mean, I guess that's cool, but, you know. Yeah. Not very religious. It's interesting. We've got now three presidents back-to-back who at least aren't very formally religious. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because if you read, you know, if you read, if you read textbooks from a certain perspective, they're like, oh yeah, the American presidents, they were all godly men. <laughs> oh yeah, like fear in the Lord. But like, if these three guys had tender profiles, they would all be like those basic people who are like, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Now, he did have a pretty solid stint in the military. At the, as the southern states quickly began to secede after Lincoln's election, mm-hmm. Hayes was lukewarm about the Civil War to restore the Union. Considering that the two sides might be irreconcilable, he suggested that the Union, quote-unquote, let them go. <laughs> let them go. Let them go. <laughs> Can't hold on to those seceded states anymore. No. Nope. <laughs> Though Ohio had voted for Lincoln in 1860, Cincinnati voters turned against the Republican Party after secession. 
Its residents included many from the South, and they voted for the Democrats and Know Nothings, mm. who we briefly mentioned. I love the Know Nothings are still around. Mm-hmm. Who combined to sweep the city elections in eighteen in April in April eighteen sixty one, and this ejected Hayes from the city solicitor's office, and so he enlisted. Okay. Now he served through the end of the war, the Civil War that is, and he earned the title of Brigadier General. Okay, pretty high ranking dude then. Mm-hmm. And then, while serving in the army of the Shenandoah in 1864, I actually just came from that area. Nice. Um, Hayes was nominated by Republicans for the House of Representatives from Ohio's 2nd Congressional District. Asked by friends in Cincinnati to leave the army to campaign, he refused, saying that an officer fit for duty who at this crisis would abandon his post to electioneer for a seat in Congress ought to be scalped. <laughs> And this was mega popular with oh. his constituents. Oh, they love, they ate this stuff up. Oh, I believe it. They hear that and be like, <laughs> this is an honorable man. Yep. Instead, Hayes wrote several letters to the voters explaining his political positions and was elected by a 200, to, by a 2,400 vote majority over the incumbent Democrat Alexander Long. Okay. And uh, one of the more interesting uh, pieces of policy that he had while he was serving as, as a representative was... He rejected then-President Johnson's haste in readmitting the seceded states back. He really was not all about, like, just forgiving and forgetting with the, with yeah. the seceded well, states. Well, I mean, why not just forgive and forget? Just let them <laughs> back in. Let them back in. You know, Robert E. Lee can be a representative. <laughs> At least he uh, he wasn't overly centrist in his earlier, uh, earlier mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm. He actually had some principles that he stood for. Now, in terms of his personality... Um, and his physical description, according to the Presidential Ham. I love that uh, our, website. One of our favorites. He was a robust, broad-shouldered, handsome figure. <laughs> Hayes, stood, Hayes stood 5 feet 8.5 inches tall, which is around my height, mm-hmm. and usually weighed 170 to 180 pounds. He had a large head with a high forehead, deeply set blue eyes, a straight nose, firm lips, and sound straight teeth. <laughs> Man, treating him like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> the auburn hair of his youth turned a dark brown and then white. From his service in the Civil War until his death, he wore a full beard. Mm. His health generally was sound. He dressed simply, often in ill-fitting clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I love all these presidents who are just like, you know, none of these presidents today would get caught dead in anything but like a tailor-made suit that's yep. probably... A- thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars these guys are like eh, i'll just wear whatever who was it was it johnson who was the tailor he yeah was the former tailor? Yeah, like yeah. he was a stylish man a yeah. bad man but yeah. a stylish yeah man. <laughs> as many bad men are stylish that's fair now in terms of his personality um the biographer hj eckenrod said this hayes was never a solitary hayes was never a solitary a boy of moods he had no seasons of exaltation followed by depression okay he was fairly like constant at least he presented that way throughout Mm -hmm. all of his life he liked society and shone in it in a modest way not sparkling not brilliant but pleasing (laughs) satisfying pleasing (laughs) he had a gift of friendship and most of those he loved in youth he loved in age as a young man however hayes went through a period of great inner tension which he himself attributed to a fear that he would one day lose his mind Mm -hmm. as some relatives on both sides of his family had done Overcoming this fear, he matured into a relaxed, easygoing fellow, a good conversationalist, and a keen observer of human nature. He genuinely loved people and was interested in their thoughts and problems. When traveling by train, he invariably sat in the smoking car, eager to strike up a conversation. Hmm. He had a remarkable memory for the names and faces of the most casual acquaintance. 
As a politician, he respected the opposition and welcomed constructive criticism. Although not regarded as a great orator in his day, he delivered well-planned, reasoned address addresses in a clear, pleasant voice. Mm. Now, I have conflicting feelings about what I research in terms of his Enneagram personality, because mm. a lot of people peg him as a one. No, that doesn't really sound yeah, right. Yeah, because like, like, ones are like very um, straightforward, results-oriented, like black and white people. Yes, yes. But um Hayes almost strikes me more as a nine i was thinking that too he seems more of like a peacemaker sort of guy like when you're describing him i was sort of envisioning like almost like a small town pastor you yeah, know, has, yeah. Uh, knows all the congregants you mm -hmm. know not, not necessarily like a big speaker public speaker just makes a big deal but you know yeah. pretty conversation and guy. even and even like his stint of like inner turmoil like is very characteristic of nines because like nines are like they do love peace and they are peacekeepers, but they also bottle in a lot of their own anxieties mm -hmm. until, like, it just eventually boils over. And yeah. then after that, then they're fine. Yeah, yeah. So, one asterisk, really nine. Yep, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And, um, so, with that, I leave it to, uh, what kind of president was this guy? And then we'll talk about his death a little cool, bit. Cool, cool. So, before we do that, I'll want to do the state of the nation. So, we actually have a kind of a different sort of state of the nation. So, first off, we have the birth of retail stores in America. Ooh. So, we're now entering a new era. We're, we're kind of leaving behind almost that sort of old 19th century. Now, we're moving into the Gilded Age. Mm. Industrial Revolution, strikes, and all that stuff. The agrarian culture is firmly in the rearview rear mirror now. Mm -hmm. So, Frank W. Woolworth launches the first five-and-dime store in Utica, New York, with $300 of borrowed cash. Named so because all items were priced at five cents. Now, this was a pioneering concept of the time, because this was a fixed-price store, whereas most stores of the time, you haggled. That was just how you do it. And although it would fail, he would open a second store in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And by 1911, he would have more than 500 stores. So here comes the chain. Oh, man. Now, moving to Rutherford B. Hayes. So, there's a big elephant room we have to talk about first, and that's we have to talk about his disputed election of mm. 1876. I could not wait to talk about this. All right, so let's, let's break it down. So the Republican Party was in big trouble. The Panic of 1873 and all those scandals happening near his Grant's presidency, was, was, as well as frustration with Republicans being in power for a long time, all that stuff was building and boiling. So now during the Republican convention, Hayes rose to the top, mainly because the other candidates either had a lot of corruption, or you had a guy, Roscoe Conkling, who was a big spoils politician, and just no one liked him. Wow. So, however, Hayes would be running up against the New York governor, Samuel John Jones Tilden, as the Democrat. Now, Tilden was very popular because he had busted the Tweed Ring that had been running New York City, as well as he had smashed multiple corruption rings. He also had the support of Southerners, who would surely use violence to suppress the black and white Republican vote in the South. 100%. Yep. Hayes, meanwhile, like most presidential candidates, wasn't going to campaign. He pledged to serve only one term and backed several things, like the resumption of the specie payments, gold standard. Mm -hmm. He also wanted good government in the South as long as it's respected the constitutional rights of black citizens. But Hayes knew this election was going to be close, and if he was going to lose it, he said it's either because of crime in the North or violence in the South. And when the results came in, it was really close. <laughs> How close? Hayes had California, Oregon, and Nevada and Colorado, but both candidates claimed to have carried Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina. Now, Hayes had to win all of these, and even if he did, he would only win by one electoral vote. A single electoral vote. Yep, yep. And Tilden had a 
quarter of a million popular vote lead. So Tillman's doing really good. Now, Republicans asserted that the southern states use intimidation, so election boards claims Hay won. However, there were multiple issues. For example, in Oregon, one of the electors was a federal office holder and couldn't be an elector. So the Democratic governor of that state put a Democratic elector in instead. Oh, that's a, that would be a ridiculous scandal today. Yep, and when the electors all got together on December 6th, there were two separate groups of electors. One Republican and one Democrat for those contested states, Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina. And they all sent conflicting votes to the to Congress. Oh, no. And they were sent to the presiding officer of the Senate, who was Republican, Thomas Ferry. The Republicans said Ferry should decide, but Democrats said they should decide, which would help because they had a majority in the House. So Congress had to figure out what to do with it, so they decided to fit, they made the Electoral Commission Act, which consisted of five senators, three Republican, two Democrat, five representatives, three Democrat, two Republican, and five justices, two Republican, two Democrat, and one Independent. But one guy got replaced, one of the representatives, when the Illinois state legislator tried to elect him to the Senate to influence his vote. Whoa. So he actually stepped down to the Supreme Court <laughs> to take the Senate appointment. And in turn, Joseph P. Bradley was appointed a Republican, who gave them the one extra vote he needed for Hayes to carry the election. Wow. But it wasn't over yet. Oh, no. The Democrats decided to filibuster endlessly, threatening to leave the nation with no president on Inauguration Day. <laughs> So, you know, it goes to the Senate for them to approve it, and the Democrats are just filibustering. Yep. So, this is already kind of almost worse than the Trump fiasco. Oh, this is way worse. Yep, yep. Now, one reason was this, is they had a hope they could get get troops removed from New Orleans and Columbia. And there's a possibility Hayes friends and these Southerners negotiated to get this done. Eventually, Samuel J. Randolph, who was a Democrat Speaker of the House, ruled the filibuster was out of order and forced the completion of vote. So with 185 votes, Hayes was elect- declared president on March 2nd, two days before the inauguration. Whoa. So already pretty bad. And before he even enters office, he gets two nicknames, Rother Fraud and his Fraudulency. Oh, I love his Fraudulency so yeah. much. So that's how his presidency began. But let's talk about his policy. He was the president-elect for two days. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. wild. So, in his inauguration speech, he said he had settled the dispute of the election, and he wanted to heal the wounds of the Civil War. He said, Let me assure my countrymen of the Southern states that it is my earnest desire to regard and promote their truest interests, the interests of the white and of the colored people, both, and equally to put forth my best efforts on behalf of civil policy, which will ever wipe out our political affairs, the color line, the distinction between North and South. To the end, we may not be merely a united North, united South, but united country. So he said southern states had to obey the laws. He said the schoolway, not the railway station, was the key to political stability. Hmm. He did not call for railway subsidies, but rather federal aid for education, saying universal suffrage should rest upon universal education. Hayes immediately returned to the gold standard and argued for a thorough, radical, and complete reform of the civil service to fight corruption. Because, you know, he'd gotten pretty corrupt during Grant. Uh, yeah. So one thing he did, as president, he ignored leading Republican senators for cabinet and instead appointed all sorts of different people. For example, he appointed David M. Key as Postmaster General, who was a former Confederate to appeal to Southern moderates. Wild. Yep. Now, by his time in office, the Republicans only really had military control of New Orleans and Columbia, South Carolina, and their governments only sit up there. And there was deep pressure to remove these troops, and there were some economic problems at home and war with the Native Americans... Now, Hayes held to his original idea. He said, I'll remove those troops if the southern governments promise to protect the rights for blacks. And they made their promises to remove the troops. 
One former attorney general would say Hayes had had treated lawlessness by letting the lawless have their way. Mm. So what did the Southerners do? Of course they broke their promise immediately. They started immediately using voter intimidation, poll tax, literacy tests, and violence to break up the black vote. All kinds of racism. Now, Hayes would use, try to use his veto to stop this, but to no avail. The Democrats would now dominate the South until the 1960s. Goodness. So, yeah, I mean, something that I'm sure we'll talk about even more is, like, mm-hmm. Reconstruction ended with Hayes, mostly because he didn't have the spine to keep it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, next up, there was the Great Strike of 1877. That was where wage cuts led to railroaders across the Midwest and Northeast striking. What they're seeing was they weren't net, they weren't part of unions. This was all just simultaneously they struck, huh. and it, it led to violence pretty quickly. In Baltimore, men attacked the militia with stones, and the militia opened fire, killing ten. Then an angry crowd in Pittsburgh went on a riot. They destroyed 104 locomotives, 2,000 railroad cars, and countless buildings. That's wild. So Tom Scott, who's the president of the Pennsylvania Railroad, asked for troops to break the strike. Hayes did send the troops, but he said it was to preserve order, not to operate trains. Although the strike ended at the end of the month, railroads didn't do any further cuts, and by early 1880, they had restored the cut wages. However, President Hayes had now set a standard of using federal troops on the side of big business to break up strikes, one others' presidents in the future will use. Mm. Now, on the economic side, Hayes figured hard money. To, he wanted to use hard money to fight inflation from the Civil War. He wanted to push the gold standard, but... People who were known as inflationists wanted silver standard. Hmm. Congress eventually passed the Bland-Allison Act, which required the Secretary of the Treasury to purchase at market price two to four million dollars of silver each month and mint it into silver dollars over Hayes' veto. Now, over two million of the silver was purchased, and the gold standard was put back in place. And luckily for Hayes, the economy began to recover. Good for him. Next, Hayes' big issue is he wanted to tackle civil reform. One big issue was that politicians assessed civil servants' yearly salaries to finance campaigns. Those in lucrative positions paid a whole lot more. Some chose to recruit these assessments through bribes. Sounds disproportionate and wrong. Mm -hmm. In response, Hayes used an executive order forbidding assessments of civil servants from managing political parties. Now, he didn't want to destroy the party organizations, but many organizations just straight up ignored the order. Like old Roscoe, who we mentioned earlier. <laughs> he flouted the order, and he, the guy who was in charge of his custom house won Chester A. Arthur. Oh, but man. He collected 70% of the nation's revenue in New York. So this was how much money they were dealing with. Actually, I think it was 70%. Now, at first, Hayes tried to replace Chester Arthur with Theodore Roosevelt Sr., oh. old Teddy's pop. But this failed, and then Sr. died. So Hayes eventually got Arthur replaced with Edwin A. Merritt. Now, through this appointment struggle, Hayes boosted the power of the presidency over appointments. However, midterm season, 1878, Democrats take over both houses of Congress. Yikes. And here's what they start doing. With money bills, you know, bills that keep the government going, they start attaching legislation called riders to these bills. These riders usually try to reduce the power of federal troops to protect polls and voters. Hayes disenfranchisement. Yep. Hayes responded to these voters during something that's called the Battle of the Riders with a passionate vetoes. And he was like, I will not accept any of this. And that actually worked in United Republicans against the Democrats, and especially that Democratic threat to shut down the government. Yeah. 
Now, switching gears a little bit, on the Native American side, Hayes, pretty much like most of them, favored assimilation and paternalism over straight-up extermination. He did, however, admit, many if not most of our Indian wars have had in their origin the broken promises and acts of injustice on our part. Thanks, Jackson. Yes, thanks, Jackson. He did actually appropriate millions of dollars to support Native Americans when put in reservations. Okay. He also cleaned out a corruption ring that defrauded Native Americans in the Indian Bureau. Good. However, there was a war with the Nez Perce tribe, which had been caused by decision to move them from their home reservations. At the same time, the Ponca were removed, but their chief, Standing Bear, tried to go home in Dakota on foot in the winter to bury his son. He was arrested in Nebraska, but his story sparked a major Indian rights movement that opposed these removals. As a result, government commission authorized the Poncas to return to Dakota, although without their previously held communal property. So while Hayes was better than others, he still did have that paternalism and the idea the natives really need to assimilate. Mm-hmm. So that was his domestic, but let's, let's talk a little bit about his foreign policy. His foreign policy weren't as crazy, but there were some issues. First of all, in 1878, Hayes ordered the army to help fight bandits who had been coming up from Mexico. And Porfirio Diaz, president of Mexico, said, I will not allow it. But he agreed to help pursue bandits, and the issue was eventually resolved. And now we got to get into a little bit of a racist issue. So, uh-oh. Some, some, some troubles in China. In 1868, there was a treaty signed with China called the Berlin, Berlin Game Treaty. I'm probably butchering it. Okay. But this treaty allowed unrestricted Chinese migration. But white laborers didn't like the Chinese. Mainly for racist reasons, but also for the fact that they accepted lower wages and you know, took the jabs. There was anti-Chinese riots in 1877 with a party saying they wanted to, I quote, stop the leprous Chinaman from landing. Whoa. In 1878, a California Constitutional Convention stopped Chinese from voting or working on local and state public works. Yikes, I had no idea any of this happened. Yeah, there was a lot of racism with Chinese people. Federal courts struck them down, but California responded with a bill to restrict vessels with more than 15 Chinese people from entering. Hayes vetoed this, but was in, he was in favor of discouraging some Chinese labor, but he didn't want to, like, kick them all out. So the two countries weird-worked a treaty to allow the U.S. to regulate, limit, and suspend, but not prohibit Chinese laborers. And this treaty would get signed in 1881 after Hayes left office. One last note. The French, meanwhile, were working on setting up a canal in Central America. Mm. They had many potential targets, one of which was Panama. Now, Hayes didn't like that. He said... The true policy of the United States as to a canal across any part of the isthmus is either a canal under American control or no canal. Sounds American. Yep. And he warned any investors, you better not look to us for protection. And eventually the project would fail. So, you know, I guess points to the Americans for that. Yep. Kick the can down the lane for the canal. Yep. To old Teddy Roosevelt. So that's that's all I had for Hayes. Um, an interesting president. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it, it was interesting. So... When I was researching that, I'm like, oh, he seems, you know, pretty good. You know, A for effort. Then as when I'm rereading it, I'm like, I don't know. I so don't know. let me add one more footnote onto that. So after his retirement, Hayes was troubled by the disparity between the rich and the poor, uh-huh. saying in an 1886 speech, free government cannot long endure if property is largely in a few hands and large masses of people are unable to earn homes, education, and support in old age. Okay, okay. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting. And very relevant today. Yeah. And uh, he ultimately died of a heart attack in 1893, so that's not very interesting. But mm. uh, his, his thoughts on like the, the, uh, the uh, disparity of wealth, the mm-hmm. wealth gap, was fascinating. Yeah, it is very interesting. It almost seems like 
he was a moderate who was caught in a diff- lot of difficult situations. Yeah. He did show some determinism and clean out corruption. Mm-hmm. And, you know, slight improvements with, you know, Native Americans. Slight. Yeah. yeah. And then Reconstruction. Reconstruction is really sort of the elephant in the room yep. here. Because he almost seems, it's very naive to think, yeah. well, I guess they promise. So yeah. Gonna... Like, he, he basically doomed the South to be, like, a horrible place for African Americans to live. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. arguably up through today in certain pockets. Yep, for sure, for sure. So with that in mind, do you mind, real quick, pulling up our rankings of the presidents? Because <laughs> Let's do it. One day I'm just going to have to, like, put this on, like, a post-it note and attach it to my wall whenever we do this. Yep, yep, yep. Or, or maybe get, like, a whiteboard or something. Yep. All right, so I'll, I'll go through. So coming to number one, we got Abraham Lincoln, James Monroe, Washington, Jefferson, Grant, JQA, James Polk, James Madison, John Adams, Zachary Taylor, Andrew Jackson, John Tyler, Buren, Harrison, Fillmore, Pierce, Buchanan, and Johnson. So, where does old Hayes rank? So, Hayes is an interesting one. Yeah. Because I think there are some efforts he made. Like I said, A for effort. I think, I think most of his principles I agree with. Yes, exactly. But he's also... Kind of a disappointment. As yeah, a yeah, like kind of wasted potential. Yeah. So I think, let's see here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I think I have a general idea of where I want him. Yeah, I, th- think? I think so too. Um, let's see. Uh, I can't remember who went first last time. I think, I believe you went first okay, last time. Okay, you go ahead and go first okay. this time. So I vote we put him just right above John Adams. You know, right below James Madison. Sort of in that middle. So you're, oh, you're a little bit better. Nice. I actually was going to recommend we put him in between John Adams and Zachary Taylor, but I'm totally above putting... I'm totally down with putting him above John Adams because, like, the XYZ affair and, like, the Sedition Acts, just, like, nah. Yeah, no. Like, so he's he's a pretty okay president. An okay president. But I I think that's interesting because it tends to be on the show, at least recently... We've either had, like, oh, man, this is a really good president, yep, or, yep. oh. It's just horrendous garbage. Yep. So it's like, uh, you're, you're, you're modest, you know. He is ner- number nine currently. Mm-hmm. So, like, pretty much smack dab in the middle. Um, I doubt he will stay in the top ten. No. But, uh, but, but then, like, we haven't ranked, you know, that many, all yeah. things considered. Like, he's the, um, oh. He's, what, the 18th? Okay, so. Okay. 15th was Buchanan, 16th was Lincoln. Yep. 17th, so he's a 19th. Yep, 19th. Okay, so, you know, a little bit uh, upper middle. Yeah, not too shabby, not too shabby. He'll probably get pressed down further up we go. Oh, yeah. So, so but Curtis, you had a final caucus for us. I do indeed, and uh, this this will elicit some interesting conversation. We kind of touched on this on the periphery in different episodes, because it's obviously tied to the presidency. Mm Mm-hmm. So, obviously, there was a lot of contention with this election. Oh, yeah. Like, to me, this election sounds even wilder than, like, the Bush-Gore craziness. Yeah, yeah, because it's just so contested, and it's so close. And there were, like, appointments being made, and people stepping down, and, like, a single person basically deciding, like, who was president. Yeah, and all sorts of voter repression, and, you know, actually rigged elections. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So, I guess... The, qu- the question that I had reading about all this was, Brad, should the Electoral College be abolished? Ooh, okay, okay. We got a good question. So, Electoral College, it seemed like it was created to make presidential elections indirect. Yep. So, you know, you can't 
We can't have real direct population vote. It's like we're a democratic republic, not not a democracy. Yeah, and we're supposed to give equal rights to the states. But I think there are a number of arguments you can make. Like the pro electoral college argument could go, well, yeah, like the electoral college has some issues, but honestly, that's more an issue of just how we choose to arrange the votes because it gives more voting power to smaller states. And we just really need to reorganize how many electoral votes come out of each state. Yeah. Which, you know, is fine. But I think it's very hard. This core gets this question gets to the heart of the debate of what America is. Yeah. Because America started with a debate between Federalists and Anti-Federalists. Are we a central government or are we a bunch of states? And the Electoral College plays more into the idea of states because yep. you get more power to all these states. Mm-hmm. Some would argue that it's it's a relic of a bygone era. Yeah, it is. Especially because they couldn't imagine we have, would have gone from this agrarian society to an urban society. Yep. Where urban now vastly outnumber the rural centers. Mm-hmm. So I would argue... It's probably a good idea to go to a popular vote because here's the thing. It is we've already had now in our times looking at this twice when a president who didn't win the popular vote won the election. Yep. And one of them that one of them was John Quincy Adams. We love John Quincy Adams. We really do. But like he didn't win the popular vote. He didn't even win the electoral college, technically. Nope. nope. And now we got Rutherford B. Hayes, and I don't know enough about Tilden, but it does seem like Till in this section, like I'm willing to give a little bit more leniency to Hayes because Tilden had a lot of corruption and all that. Yeah, southern and like the, the Democrats at that point were just bad news because of how, how pro South they were. Yeah, but if we're being fair, like Tilden did win the popular vote. Yep, even he did. even if he even when they threw out the Southern votes, that's the the uh, the not the, the fraudulent votes. yeah the fraudulent votes. So I think it would. I would probably be in favor of getting rid of it just because it's it's a lit, it's a bit of an outdated system and it just it just messes up it's messed up too many times. Yeah, yeah, and I think that obviously bounce, bouncing out what you said, I completely agree. I think the electoral college should be just straight up abolished instead of just amended hmm. um, because I think that with all government policies like. The more clear and direct something is, the less likely it is for it to be corrupted. Yes. And yes. because the Electoral College is such a roundabout way of doing things, like, I feel like it's a lot easier to play with that system. Yes, and we realized that during the 2020 election when we realized, oh no, what what could Trump do to steal this? Because there's all sorts of little ways. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. Playing in different electors or messing with, you know... Messing with the court system. Messing with the court system. Messing with the approval of it in the Senate. It's like, it just sets bad mojo when you have this many hands on an election. Mm-hmm. This many hands on approving the election. So, I have a, I have a follow-up question yeah. for that. So, in the last, I don't know, decade, couple decades, um, the GOP hasn't really been super good at winning the popular vote. No, they haven't. And as we see today, like, polls and stuff, like, the vast majority of Americans live in cities. Yes. Just about every city in America, save for a couple outliers, are blue. Yes. If we abolished the Electoral College, would the modern GOP ever win another election? As it currently Ooh, is okay. now. That's a good question. And I think it's worth it's worth remembering that in our lifetimes, and you know, if you okay, if you've been alive more than twenty if you've been alive twenty one years, you've been alive during two elections where the person who won the election did not win the popular vote. Yep. Bush in two thousand, Trump in twenty sixteen. 
So that's that's a pretty big problem. So the modern GOP, well, I think it depends on what you mean by the modern GOP. Because if you mean like the Bush era GOP, okay, let, let's start with the Trump era. The Trump era GOP, I'm going to go with no. Yeah, There's, It's just the policies they're going for is too limited to a very subset of America that's not going to win the popular vote. If you're talking about the Bush era GOP, maybe it's possible. It's possible, but a lot of those old policies are sort of old hat and sort of you know been there, done that. Yeah, I'm even reading that you know the Republican message of physical responsibility. You know whether you agree with that or not. Yeah, and there's all sorts of different issues with it, but that really doesn't resonate even with Republican voters as much nowadays. They want something saucier. Yeah, something saucier. I, I think if that were to happen. The Republican Party would really need to shift dramatically, or it would split apart. Yeah. It needs to shift into a party that really is the centrist party. Mm-hmm. Because right now, it's it's far right, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. If it shifted to a centrist party, it, I think it could win the popular vote, especially if Democrats go forward with some, not necessarily very unpopular policies, but very unpopularly worded policies. Yeah. Like, for example, like... We we I don't want to touch too much on like BLM issues, but say for example, Democrats went super hardline defund the police, but used even stronger language. Yeah, like abolish the police. Yeah, abolish the police. Now that's very popular among a certain subset, but the vast majority of Americans, it's not very popular at all. Yeah. So if they went really hard on that, I think a centrist party could win the popular vote pretty yeah. easily. But what what do you think? Do you think the modern GOP could pull out a popular vote win? Um, I think that the modern post Trump. GOP specifically couldn't win the popular vote and I think it's for all the reasons you said about how like how reactionary they are and how Mm -hmm. like most of their politics are reactionary now and very very few of their arguments are based in like actual policy and it's more just like being angry about things yeah yeah whereas like I have like a list of problems with the Democrats yes these days like and I don't think me and you are necessarily like for the rest of our lives, going to strictly vote Democrat, no, no, or strictly so. like commit to that before we consider the issues. Yeah. Um. But, um, the Democrats actually stand for something right now, mm-hmm. at, as weakly as they might defend it sometimes. Yep. Um. The the GOP doesn't really stand for anything right now. Mm-hmm. They they're kind of in flux. Yeah. And that being said, I think that they will splinter. I want to I want to save like. A broader conversation about how that would actually happen for maybe like I don't know thirty episodes from now. We'll oh talk yeah. About the Trump, like yeah, that's, that's gonna be the final ca- caucus of like one of the Trump episodes. Yes, because like we have to discuss in depth for like twenty minutes. Like, what does a GOP like restructuring look like? Yeah, that's gonna be a wild episode. Oh, I, yeah. I just wanted to bring up a quick side note about the Electoral College. One of the big problems to gain rid of it is because it's in the Constitution. Yeah, anything's in the Constitution, it's hard to get rid of. Yeah, like three quarters of states have to approve it, mm-hmm. and like crazy stuff. The the way around it, I've heard. I don't know if you're about this. Is there's a way because it doesn't really specify how the states choose who wins. So there's a bunch of states that sign up for this idea that whoever wins the popular vote, those states will automatically make all their electors vote for that president, yeah, regardless of what the people in the state vote for. Mm-hmm. And I think like about 190-ish states with 190 states with 190-ish electoral votes have all signed up. Yeah. How the law works though is the law won't take effect until states with 270 electoral votes or more sign up. Oh. So if you use something like that, you could essentially use the electoral college to circumnavigate the electoral yeah, college. Yeah. And, and in essence, by everything but name, make it a democracy. Yes. 
Now, I can only imagine the amount of lawsuits that would come out of that if it actually does go through, and the amount of anger they'll come about. Cause can you imagine on the news to be like, well, I mean, um, oh, what's a good example? Well, Virginia, Vir, Vir, North Carolina voted red, but they're sending all the electors to vote blue. This <laughs> yep. is a stolen election, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yep. There is so much opportunity for, you know, fake news and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But, yeah, I think uh, Electoral College, yeah, time, uh, it's, 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 it's old news. The time has come. The time has come. So that was Rutherford B. Hayes, and... <laughs> Funny enough, the next person we're going to tackle, we got another William Henry Harrison situation. Oh, someone who died, but someone who got assassinated. So we got the first. Up. Is it the first assassination? No, that was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, that's, I, that was the dumbest thing I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I am running on like two hours of sleep, so I apologize. It's it's, a, it's okay. Like you know, we we all we all make mistakes. The, the best the best uh, the best course of action is to address it, acknowledge it, and move on. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll, we'll get a few more of those presidents who got assassinated after this, you know. So it'll be a, it'll be a different sort of episode, much like the Harrison one. But I think it'll still be good. We'll have to filibuster a little bit. Yeah, you got to do that filibuster. So thanks all for joining us once again. I'm Bradley Cooper, and I am Curtis Cooper. Stay ranking. Rank.